And welcome to Literally Gagging. This is a podcast where we talk about all those dirty, saucy little books that get you ready for some alone time, get you ready to go all night long. And so if you're not a fan of men inserting parts of their anatomy into other men, this may not be the podcast for you because that is very much the order of the day this week. My name is Hannah and I'm here with my co-host Molly. How are you, Molly? Hello, I am all right. How are you doing? How's it going? I'm not bad. It's been, I mean, it's been a, it, the world's just shit, isn't it? World's on fire. But other than that, I'm sort of okay. Do you know what I'm really excited about is that I can go and have a ride on Nemesis at Alton Towers. I can go to Chester Zoo and, you know, go and look at some lions, but I can't go home to my mum and dad's and pet my own dog. And it has been nearly six months and I'm getting really weird now when I go out. I'm like actively talking to people's dogs. I'm trying to pat people's dogs. People are putting their dogs away from me and looking at me strangely because I won't take my headphones off to speak to the owner. Like I still have London rules. I just want to pat the dog. I don't want to talk to you, Martha or Mary or Eloise. I'm not about this. Have you had a, a nice week? Have you done anything fun? So it's my partner's birthday. Finally, the same age as me. He likes to make out that I'm a cougar because I'm three months older than him. We went and had a couple of socially distanced beverages in some friends' gardens Cute. so he could see people, which was nice. It, you know, just like human contact that's not on Zoom. Like actual face-to-face human contact is amazing i went for a socially distance picnic with one of my best pals from work and then we were like oh we'll do it every week it'll be absolutely fine and then just the weather's been shit ever since then so what else what else has happened this week new series of queer eye that's given us all something to live for it honestly is like exactly what everyone in the world needs right now they are emotionally exhausting watching them they are but it's nice to cry about something happy for once like the cathartic cry at oh the first episode a wonderful gay priest coming to terms with the fact that he can be both and what are you drinking this week i am on a white rioca because it was on offer in sainsbury's but i had an absolute mental time getting it so my friend listens to the Table Manners podcast. Is it Jessie Ware and her mum? Yeah, and they always go on about this wine that's called Whispering Angel. She was researching it and you can only get it in Waitrose. It's also £18 a bottle, so it is spenny. So I was in Sainsbury's today. There is one bottle of Whispering Angel left on the shelf. It's also a rosé, which surprised me because... Roses are trash. I think for us, we think of it as trash wine that we used to drink when we were at uni. So I texted her and I was like, oh my god I found it it's in my basket so I get to the till with my £6.50 bottle of wine which I thought I was splashing out on and an £18 bottle of wine I'm looking a bit of a state and she looks at me she goes have you got any ID and I was like well no because I'm 28 and I'm also buying an £18 bottle of wine (laughs) I'm not 17 I was trying to explain to someone at work why I don't drink rosé and I was like it's because we didn't have Prosecco when we were at uni it just wasn't a thing like it wasn't an option and I think if we'd had Prosecco I would have drank that instead and I wouldn't be able to drink that anymore either. So I'm assuming you're not drinking a rosé right now, Hannah. I'm not drinking a rosé right now. Honestly, I don't know why I don't just go to a shop and buy some new alcohol. But I'm literally like, I need to drink something new every week on the podcast, otherwise it's boring. So I'm drinking a salted caramel vodka liqueur with tonic water because it's the only mixer that I had. I'm going to be honest, it tastes a bit weird. Mm, I can imagine. But I'm fine with it. 
Oh, we're here now. Babe, as long as you're fine with it, that's all that matters. You do you, boo. So this week, we are doing a book called The Back Passage by James Lear. And James Lear is the pen name of an author called Rupert Smith, who was born in Washington, D.C. in 1960. He moved to London at the age of 18, and he's lived there ever since. Under the name Rupert Smith, he writes novels inspired by his many years of experience working in entertainment journalism. He's also written sort of some horror and like a coming-of-age novel and a novel about sort of the London gay scene through the years. But under the name James Lear, he writes gay erotic novels. And in 2008, he was the winner of the Erotic Awards Best Writer. So he clearly knows what he's doing. There are a couple of standalone ones. There's a series called the Dan Stagg series, which is sort of like a gay army time during America's like don't ask, don't tell period. But the series that we are delving into with book one, which is The Back Passage, is the Mitch Mitchell series, which is set in the 1920s. It's about a young American who goes to the university of Cambridge and kind of it's Agatha Christie vibes but just with loads of bumming I think it's one of the best things we've ever read on this podcast I was just texting Molly the whole time like this shit is fun I'm having a great time I was cracking up in bed reading it and every time I start laughing my partner's like what what are you reading because he exclusively only reads history and war books so there's not there's occasional bants in there. This, I was cracking up. Just the wording, the innuendos. And I just feel like he really nailed the tone of the book. Like it was really like tongue in cheek and fun. And one of the big things that he's complimented for with his novels is like the historical detail because quite a lot of his gay erotic novels are historical. I feel like maybe there was slightly less gay sex in the 20s than he would lead us to believe. Okay, I was going to say there was a lot of bombing in the 20s if this is real. There's always been bombing. There's always been bombing. Like the Greeks loved bombing, so there's always been bombing. And a lot of it was just happening behind closed doors. This book had so much bombing in it. It was great. It was honestly an absolute riot. James Leo Rupert Smith, if you are listening, we are fans. Come for a bev, because we are big fans. I would really like to read the other three in the series, and even if we don't do them on the podcast, I might just read them for me. Because I think I might time. just read them. They were so good. The problem is, I found it really difficult to find any of his books in paperback or hardback form. So if you are listening, Mr. Lear, please can you do a republish or can you tell me where to get them from? Really push for another print run because people need to be reading these. These are so good. They're so funny. As it is a murder mystery, do we want to do like the mousetrap and keep it a secret? Who does it in the end? Or do we want a spoiler? I think I think we have to do a spoiler because if we want to talk about the epilogue at the end. Yes, that's true. Okay, you've convinced me. Spoiler alert at the top of the show. If you don't want to know who did the murder, we will timestamp that and you can skip it if you want to read it yourself. But even if you know who the murder is, please still read it because it's really fun. It's fantastic. So, should we introduce Mitch? I'm going to give you the honour of introducing Mitch. His name's Edward Mitchell. But everyone and calls him Mitch. He is from Boston and he is studying, I think it's medicine or anatomy at the University of Cambridge. It's 1925. He is roommate with a guy called Harry, quote, Boy Morgan. Posh people in the 20s all had stupid nicknames. We're going to refer to him as Boy Morgan or Morgan. So Mitch is roommates with Boy Morgan and Boy Morgan is engaged to Belinda Eagle. 
So Belinda Eagle's family have a stately home in Norfolk and they have gone out to the weekend to stay there. The Eagles are a very well-respected family. So Belinda's family is made up of her dad, who is Sir James Eagle, an MP. His wife slash her mama, Lady Caroline Eagle. You have Belinda's, I'm going to call him creepy uncle Leonard. Belinda's brother Rex. Belinda's brother's fiance, who's called Whopper Hunt, because she was such a whopper with the hockey sticks, she could boost a hockey stick through it anywhere. The reason I'm introducing all the characters up front is because this book is only 200 pages long, but so much happens in it, and there are like 70 million different characters that you're gonna get lost. I got lost reading it, but I thoroughly enjoyed it. There's like a host of servants as well who will become important. So it opens up with Belinda wanted to play a game of sardines. So for people who aren't familiar, it's like hide and seek. Basically, if you find someone, you have to hide with them. And that's the game. It's definitely, I feel like it's a thing that like rich people did before they had better things to do. I'd be like at my granny's house, you only had the cupboard under the stairs with the weird Jesus statues and the coats and the damp and the mice. But if you have a stately home, you've got loads of places to hide. So Mitch and Morgan, boy Morgan, are playing sardines and they're hiding in the croquet cupboard. So they're all pinned up together and we learned that Mitch's game plan here is to get involved with Morgan, which they sort of start off. They try and move themselves into a more comfortable position because they are cramped and there's a lot of touching. They finally get themselves into a position where boy Morgan's cock is just out in the open and Mitch is quietly a little bit surprised that he's managed to get this hard at the thought of them potentially doing something. And Mitch says that he feels his cock in the palm of his hand, blows on it gently, feeling the cool movement of air, it jumped like a freshly landed catfish. There's a lot of Mitch doing like cute Americanisms that all the upper class British people like yeah, just love. Yeah, they swoon for. And there's a lot of, yeah, references to things like a freshly landed catfish that like a British person would never say. So Mitch starts giving him head when all of a sudden they hear a loud scream and it's Belinda. Mitch says to her, why, Miss Belinda? I said, still tasting boy Morgan's salty pre-cum, where head pulled my tongue. Whatever is the matter? I can't do a Boston accent. They're really difficult. And they're a little bit worried that Belinda's seen the two of them going at it in the croquet cupboard. But as it turns out, Belinda's found a dead body. Oh, who's all that coming? Oh, no. Crazy. She opened a cupboard while she was looking for people hiding and a body fell out. Everyone's like a bit bamboozled because now there's got to be police coming in and out of the house and really what Mitch wanted to happen is that in all the hubbub he could go and fuck boy Morgan but he's too busy looking after his silly fiance how dare he I like the bit where he says youth and athleticism are a wonderful combination not even a sudden murder can quell the storm in a young man's flannels <laughs> so like he's ready to go and then we find out that he was ruled by two passions cock and crime I mean get that on Molly's gravestone <laughs> oh my god please do for two passions of cock and crime so he's a big fan of Sherlock Holmes and this new English writer with promise called Agatha the Christie. The reason that he got into medicine essentially is because he's really interested in the detail of crime and wants to be a private detective and all that kind of stuff. He's like a sexy Hercule Poirot. And so he's come over to England because that's where you come to deal with some cock and some crime. So whilst the police are coming in and out and the family can sense that Mitch has got his American suspicions, 
Americans are a lot more brash than we are, mm. especially at this time. We were all stiff up a little. You've all watched Downton Abbey, let's not pretend. It's like gay murders at Downton Abbey. He's looking very suspicious and he's wanting to get involved and they're all a little bit anyway, like who's this American that our daughter's fiancé has brought with him. And they are sharing a room together mm. because that's what bachelors do. Like They've got a fucking mansion and they're like, no, 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 we'll share a room. It's fine, don't worry. It's cool, don't worry about it, don't ask questions. So to try and get Mitch's suspicions out of the way, creepy uncle Leonard comes over and he's like, let's go for a walk in the woods. Mother has insisted. So they go for a walk in the woods and creepy uncle Leonard keeps making like insinuations that maybe Mitch and boy Morgan are slightly more than friends. And there's a lot of that in this book because this is a time where homosexuality was still illegal. But obviously, as we said, that doesn't mean it wasn't happening. And I feel like there probably was, I mean, maybe slightly less bumming at your average country house weekend than happens in this book. But there was a lot of, is this man the marrying sort? Or is he one of us sort of thing? Is he? Nudge, nudge, wink, wink. So when they're out and about, on their walk, they discover the swimming hole. And Uncle Lenny is already nude by the time that Mitch gets into it. Um, And he's like, come on in, the water's just fine. So Mitch is just like... Yeah, do you know what? Let's do this. So he gets naked and he jumps in. And I mean, this is when we get our first real look at Mitch. He's like an American jock god compared to all these like skinny, pasty little English people. The way he describes Leonard is that in his experience, skinny men of wolfish appearance have huge pricks and Leonard confirmed my findings. One of the other things that Mitch says about himself is that muscles such as mine were a rare sight in England in 1925 where strong men were confined to circus tents and musicals so Mitch is buff Mitch is fit Mitch is buff Leonard is skinny but with a big dick so they start getting it on and they go to the edge of the pool they're naked and he's impressed with Leonard he says I knew from the first moment I saw him that Leonard was vicious but nothing had prepared me for the dexterity with which he conducted our coupling within a minute of grappling like this he'd manoeuvred himself into a straddling position and was cranking my cock like the starting handle of a car Leonard is spitting in all the right places to get that loose ready to go. I had to go to a panel of experts. I had to go to several different people and ask, is what I'm about to read humanly and physically possible for an anus to do? What was the conclusion? One of my experts said that it's not physically possible to do the extent of what they're doing here. Okay. So I'm going to read this out. Leonard adjusted his position with the precision of a seasoned fucky, placing my fat bulbous head against his sphincter and then engulfed me. I had never been taken like that before. There was no pushing, no resistance, no grunting or struggling. Instead, his ass opened like a mouth to draw me inside, capturing me with a tight, warm wetness and then began the fuck. I could hardly say that I fucked him as all I could do was tense my muscles and hold myself in position. Leonard's body hardly moved, but the vacuum inside him was playing merry hell with my cock. It seemed as if a hundred hands and a hundred mouths were working on me. Pressures and textures rippled around my shaft, setting my balls boiling like potatoes in a saucepan. I would just like to interject and say that was my favourite bit of like the, the book, possibly all of it. Continue. 
Under the surface of his milky white tight skin, I could see the muscles of his abdomen and thighs working in subtle, sinuous rhythms. The only thing over which he had no control was his own prick, which jerked and throbbed with any inner squeeze. Drops of nectar gathered at the head and ran down like a wax on a candle. It was too much to resist. I grabbed his cock, scooped it up as much juice as I could and brought it into my mouth. My second taste of the day, just as delicious as the first. I have to say, I feel like homosexual male sex is not something I'm very well versed in, apart from my forays into fan fiction, because that's all any fan fiction is written about. But the way that he describes things is really good. It's so good. I also would like to know, does Leonard count as a hungry bottom or a power bottom? He sounds hungry to me. Uncle Lenny has managed to wank himself off whilst he's being bummed. And there's a lot of huge jets of spunk. There's a lot of spunk in this. It's a spunky book. They eventually all come. And then he just kind of fucks off. And then Mitch goes back up to the house and kind of realises that by the time he gets there, the police have gone. Everyone's calmed down. And everyone's kind of sort of disappeared and everything's chill. And he's like, fuck it. That was what creepy Uncle Lenny was doing. That was a ruse. It was all a sexy ruse ruse he was trying to get me out of the house because he could see that he was getting too suspicious and the phrase he uses was i curse myself for my stupidity for allowing lust to cloud my judgment they would not trick me so easily again not even with slim white bodies and man-eating anuses man-eating anuses lenny's got some skills (laughs) that noise is horrific He feels a bit silly. He's like, I've missed out on because as he's mentioned previously, everything he knows about sleuthing he's learned from Sherlock Holmes. And he knows that the longer you leave it, the less likely you are to get any usable evidence. You need to be there straight away. Boy Morgan comes up and sort of swoons into his arms and then starts kissing his neck. And then they manage to find a bathroom and they both go in there. Mitch begins to give Boy Morgan head. Mitch always sort of insinuates that because Boy Morgan is straight presenting that he's never had sex before or never had sexual contact and this is all very much Boy Morgan's sexual awakening because prim and proper young ladies didn't do these sorts of things. There's a sentence that says, the social strictures of the 1920s which forbade heterosexual relationships outside marriage were very much on my side. Boy Morgan says it more than once, they're like, well, the stuff that we're doing now is more than I've ever done with my fiance because I'm not allowed to. Within three or four strokes, a thing was jumping in my hand like a motorized banana. I had to step back and a great long spurt of sperm had shut onto my trousers. Unwilling to see such natural bounty go to waste, I quickly dropped to a crouching position and took two, three and four in my mouth. I'm sure that under normal circumstances, Boy would have been horrified at the idea of coming in another man's mouth, whereas mutual masturbation for young men of his class was not entirely unknown. Yeah, that's the kind of shit that people got up to at like eating and that, isn't it? Yeah, so they come out of the toilet together and it's revealed that the person who's been arrested for the murder is Mr. Meeks, Charlie Meeks, who is the first footman for the family. And we learn that Rex, who is Belinda's brother, has disappeared off to London. No one knows why, no one knows what's happening. And they sort of try and be like, oh, maybe it's to go and see his fiance. And they're like, no, 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 Whopper's on her way back from Paris up here. She's gonna be here in like an hour. It's sort of said that it's very suspicious that like as soon as this murder's happened and Meeks has been arrested, Rex has fucked off. And then Belinda starts talking about 
about the murder and she's like oh i thought i saw something and mitch is like a girl one and she's like i saw something that looked like marks in the carpet there were like tracks of someone dragging something across the carpet like all the carpet was like scrunched up the wrong way because obviously she noticed this when she was in a fit of hysteria having found the body Mm. she's then like oh maybe i'm wrong maybe that's not what i saw but it looked like it was going to sir james study but that's where they took the body so that must have just been it it must have just been them moving the body and because she's a woman and it's the 1920s even she doesn't know what she's thinking because you get told so often that what you're thinking isn't real she's just like oh maybe i forgot so mitch after hearing this decides to take it upon himself to go down to the local police station where mr meeks is being held and he tries to get into the copper on the front desk and be like well sir james sent me down here and he's like did he fuck get out so Mitch has to find another way to get in. And he does find another way. He does, because it turns out the moral of the story is bombing is the secret to everything. So he goes outside having been rejected entry from the police station and there is a young police officer called PC Bill Shipton who is fixing his bike out the front and he goes over and starts making conversation with him and it turns out that Bill Shipton is very impressed with the fact that he's American. Loves a Yankee fucking loves a yank when Mitch realises this he's like oh you wouldn't do me the favour just show me around your old police station here would you just show me the garden just show me what's out the back and he's like okay partner let's go have a look and Mitch is like his accent's fucking horrible but he's doing what I want him to one of the bits I liked was when he said when I moved to England everyone warned me that their plumbing was a little Victorian and I didn't believe them at first but it turns out they were true because there's a lavvy at the back of the garden a little gross outhouse which is mostly where they just go to smoke and like sit off a bit. Mitch is like, could you go for a fag? And he's like, hmm, I sure could go for a fag. Look at those real American fags. And at first I was like, oh, can we talk about this in the podcast? Because obviously the F word is problematic. It is what you call a cigarette in the UK, but it's not what you call a gay man. But because the writer is gay, the characters are gay, and it's just a perfect wordplay. It's just really funny innuendo, so I'm very sorry. So they go to have a fag in the toilets. This is, again... One of Mitch's sort of, I'd say slightly outlandish comments about men is he noticed that like PC Shipton takes off his helmet. He said, I was delighted to see that though so young, he was already starting to lose his hair. Premature baldness combined with heavy beard growth always seems to me to be an indicate of a prodigious, unfussy sexual appetite. It's so specific. So they're having a little lucky strike, the real American cigarettes in the toilets. And then because they're in a toilet he's like I'm gonna go to the toilet so he's standing at the urinal he's having a piss and then he was very much counting on the fact that men do a lot of communal pissing so PC Shipton joins him at the urinal there is some primal instinct in the human male that drives us to communal pissing and it's a phenomenon of which I'm very fond PC Shipton goes cool look at that sir roundheads and cavaliers because he is uncircumcised and being an American Mitch is they're sort of 
of comparing dicks, which I don't know if that's a thing that guys do. And they're kind of like, you've got a foreskin. I've not got a foreskin. <laughs> it's all lads together. We're all just having a little joke until they're just two men standing around with their dicks out. Neither of them like wants to be the one that puts it away. Cause clearly like this is the moment where they're like feeling out like, are we going to go for it? Are we not going to go for it? It's a dick off really. And like P.C. Shipton sort of, having a little wank. He's like having a fag, having a play with himself. And then he blows smoke into Mitch's eye, which means he kind of is like, oh shit, I'm really sorry. And comes up in front of him and he's like, oh, open your eyes and blink. And he's got his hands on his shoulders and they're suddenly face to face with their dicks rubbing against each other. And this is the moment of no return. Obviously Mitch being the experienced homosexual takes the lead. And he says, I reached down with one hand and wrapped it around both of our cocks, mashing them together so they rolled and squashed against each other. So my panel of experts said this is a thing and it has a specific name, but they couldn't remember what the name was for this. Then Mitch starts to go down on PC Shipton. And he says, which I really liked, this was a bad day for my flannel trousers. They'd already gotten dusty in the cupboard, grassy and wet by the swimming hole and covered in Boy Morgan spunk. Now, as I knelt before my stiff young copper, they started soaking up a mixture of piss and cigarette ash. Mercifully, Dreckham Hall had an excellent laundry service. This says, I licked every part of this cock all along the sides, the top, around the ridge, right into the piss slit where I could still taste the sour, salty traces of his last release. One thing I will say about Mitch. Okay, so one of my favourite things in life is people who are passionate about something. And it doesn't matter if I'm not passionate about that thing. If you love Star Wars or football or the English Civil War enough, you can convince me, you can get me on board and I'm just glad you're loving your life. And he loves cock. And I love that for him. I just wish I loved cock as much as Mitch loved cock. That's what our 2020 goals should be. But I personally wouldn't, if someone I have have been with has just gone for a piss, I wouldn't be sticking my tongue down the piss slit. I wouldn't be seeking it out. Anyway, he engulfs his cock head with his lips and slides him down so he's touching the back of his throat. And he says, I guess this is something that Norfolk girls didn't do. Back in the 20s, you couldn't get a blowjob at the drop of a hat. But he had to remind himself that he'd not just lured him into the bog to suck him off. Not that I wouldn't have done so under normal circumstances, but in this instance, he wants more. And so he stops giving him head to try and start manipulating Manipulating him into giving him information. He's like, I'm not just here for a good time. I've got a job to do. I've got to fuck my way into the facts. And that is exactly what he does. He convinces Bill to show him around the police station, even though he's like, I'm not allowed to do that. And he's kissing him. And then he's fucking him in the cubicle to get what he needs. I respect that drive. I like it. Yeah. The toilet cubicle seemed to facilitate sodomy. And Mitch is like, maybe the architects are on my side for once. Yeah, he says the cubicle is quite spacious which you don't always get in public toilets bill is like be careful sir it's okay bill i won't hurt you no sir and then this bit thank god for the obedience of the british working class in those days (laughs) i fucking love it dead absolutely dead he's so polite he's like such a good boy he's like yes sir no sir just bum me over the toilet sir like (laughs) so cute Uh, and what does he say he says I didn't want to hurt him apart from anything else I didn't want him shouting so much that he brought the entire North Norfolk constabulary down upon us he goes inside and then he just kind of like waits for a little bit he's like I'm gonna pop it in I'm gonna let you get used to it it's not like Lenny's man-eating arse which is like dragging him in I imagine Lenny's arse just to be like a hungry hungry hippo (laughs) (laughs) 
constantly like oh <laughs> yeah whereas bill's not about that this is new to bill once he gets started he's like going slowly but clearly like bill's having a good time so he's building it up and he's building it up throwing him a mighty fuck is the phrase that he uses which is not a phrase i've ever heard someone use before i wanna have a mighty fuck <laughs> and then it doesn't take long before bill starts squirting spunk into the toilet bowl as mitch jerks him off and fucks him simultaneously who said romance was dead he spews into his ass in no time so they're all dressing back up and like tidying up they're getting cleaned up yeah and mitch is like well you told me you're gonna take me inside to have a look and bill's like i never said that and he was like ah ah you did but you were coming but then bill won't take him around for a tour but he goes here's the back door if you go in there and you've got lost well i can't help that but i'm not gonna show you around i'm not allowed to do that because bill's a good boy and basically mitch says that he didn't want to get bill in trouble because it made more sense for him to have bill in his corner than for him to like push this point mitch has broken into the police station and he sees something suspicious happening which is that meeks is there but in this sort of part of Norfolk, and I don't know whether it's common for all parts of Norfolk or just this one, they force you to suck dick as a way of confession. So instead of beating it out of you, they make you suck it out of them. Yeah. In this, like, gay alternative universe, Meeks is kind of brought into an interrogation room. The policeman's just whacked his cock out and is using it to taunt. It's not good cop. It's not bad cop. It's horny cop. Then Mitch sort of sees what's happening and he's like with my yankee american charm i just waltz on in and diffuse the situation and he's like sorry sirs i am very lost where do i go and they're like stuffing all their penises back into their trousers and typical british bumbling this is where mitch really gets the idea that he definitely thinks that meeks is innocent he suspected this already but he really because meeks just kind of just takes it he's just kind of very like stoic he's just letting this happen but he's not saying anything he's not confessing and that's why Mitch kind of wants to bumble in because he's worried that they're going to push Meeks into a false confession. There's like a moment of understanding with him in the police where he's like, I'm going to go and I'm not going to tell anyone what I've seen here, but we all know that I know what you're up to. So after that, they go back and they have dinner and it's all a bit uncomfortable because, you know, someone's just died and Mitch has just bummed everyone. As he said, he was like, I'm very tired, having already had more sex in one day than, strictly speaking, I needed, which is fair. I need a certain amount of sex, but I really push myself today. Lady Whopper Hunt has arrived. So they're all like, oh, Rex isn't here, but... But you are great. Cool. No one likes her. And Mitch is just trying to get a boy drunk. Yeah, he just wants to bang boy. So you know that bit in Downton Abbey, which is really weird, where the women and men go into separate rooms after dinner and the men have a cigar and talk business, while the women, I don't know, maybe they talked about sex, maybe they talked about interior design. They have that bit and then Leonard pulls him aside and is a bit like "Mm, we know that you've been snooping but here are some of the facts that you don't know and he reveals that in Dreckham Hall to quote Leonard himself he says that everyone buggers everyone the butler buggers the first footman the first footman buggers the second footman who buggers the hall boy who buggers the boots the head gardener buggers the undergardener who buggers the nurseryman who buggers the stable boy shall I go on so Dreckham Hall is a place of buggery is that cool to even say buggery I don't know if we say that anymore they refer to it as Sodom on Sea Sodom on Sea I love that so Leonard sort of confesses that 
whilst they were all playing sardines, Leonard was actually having a naughty party up in his part of the quarters where he lived. And he says that Mr. Meeks was there. And this is when we learn the victim's name. His name is Reg Walworth. Leonard says that Reg Walworth is a friend of Mr. Meeks and they were both invited to the party. They weren't working and that Reg died of autoerotic asphyxiation. Meeks was the one, like the one holding the belt sort of thing, but it wasn't a premeditated murder necessarily. It was like a sex game gone wrong. And then they talk about the poor hall boy called Simon who is deaf and mute. So they say that of course Simon is up for everything. He's a little bit of a whore and they like tied him to the bed frontwards, backwards. He had two cocks in him at once. But that's what happens at Dreckham Hall. Dreckham Hall seems to be this kind of like gay, sexy, utopian paradise where if you're a gay man in the 20s, where else would you want to be than a place where you know everyone else is up for it? Because presumably the danger when homosexuality was illegal was that if you proposition the wrong person, you're fucked. If you go... I think he's maybe, or oh, have a go, oh, wait, no, he's not, and now I'm, I've got the death penalty. So once this has happened, they go back in, they join the women, and Boy is a little bit too drunk. Mitch is hoping that the coffee will wake him back up, and Mr. Burrows, who is the butler, sort of leans over to Mitch and is like, I need to talk to you. And Mitch is like, okay, coming in the morning and covers it up by saying like, one breakfast with kippers, please, and one breakfast with bacon, wink, wink. And then they go back up to their room together, Boy and Mitch, and we lead into what has to be the biggest sex scene in the whole story. I think so, yeah. There is a lot of sex in this. We are tip of the iceberg on what we're covering in this. But this is, I think, maybe one of the best ones as well. Obviously, Mitch has kind of had his eye on Boy from the start. So it's kind of accumulation, for Mitch at least, of like quite a long time of wanting this to happen. And so the fact that Boy is into it is like really nice and they have a lovely time. It didn't necessarily turn me on in that I was like oh imagine if that was happening to me it wasn't one of those it was like everyone in this scene is having a fucking great time and that's sexy to me people having fun sex is sexy they're just really enjoying themselves and I like to see people enjoying themselves which is why you know we don't watch a lot of porn because no. people tend not to be enjoying themselves so they're stripping each other and they're both on the rowing team they're angled they're chiseled Mitch says the far in our, in inverted commas, courtship. I had been the hunter and Morgan the game. Now, to my surprise and delight, the tables were turned. Not content with kissing me as if his life depended on it, he tore off my jacket, which joined his on the floor, and started unbuttoning my shirt. So, like, he's really getting into it. This is the first time yeah. we really see Boy, like, He's committing. He wants this shit. He's having the time of his life. So it's also Morgan stared as if hypnotised, preparing himself to take what, for him, was a very large step indeed. The step that would turn him from a jolly good chap and a Cambridge rower into a cocksucker. So they're getting into it and Morgan is sucking on Mitch's dick. And then it got a bit much from Mitch. So they 69. But only quite briefly. I feel like they skimmed over that quite fast. And then they 
go into, it's not cunnilingus, analingus. I don't know what it is when you start licking around the bum hole. Rimming? Is that what rimming is? Mitch starts to lick Morgan's bum. He says that Morgan's ass was beautiful as the rest of him, pink and clean and juicy, as sweet as a plum. I ate it until I judged that he was relaxed and aroused as he could be. Then I pulled back and looked him in the eyes. I want to fuck you, Morgan. So what he does is he grabs the nearest pot of brillatine. I think that's a hair wax. And apparently Morgan's hole opened up and practically swallowed my hand. So I think that's a hungry bottom. If you were just lubing up and it goes... <laughs> I'm worried about this brillity being good. I feel like that's one thing that the 20s were missing was decent lube. So he puts his penis in and he said his asshole opened up and engulfed me. And they went all night long, all night. He fucked him rotten. He fucked him on his back with his legs over my shoulders. He pulled him on our fours and fucked him from behind. And finally I dragged him to the bed, lay him down and placed a couple of cushions under his ass and began the long ride to my goal so they've had quite the evening they're probably a bit tired a bit dehydrated they need a gatorade and a lie down and then they sleep naked in each other's arms which is lovely which is where the butler finds them the next morning so boris comes in boy goes off has a shower comes back and is literally sort of walking around in the nude this boy is very confident which it turns out is going to be the key to getting Burroughs information out of him because Burroughs wants to come and talk to mitch and needs a lot of coaxing Burroughs needs certain encouragements in order to tell them what he knows which is that Meeks couldn't have done the murder he's been accused of because Meeks was in his room at the time that that happened and Hannah how does Burroughs know this he's a little pervy peeping Tom who's <laughs> drilled holes into all the servants rooms ostensibly so he can check up on them and make sure that they're behaving themselves but one of the things that comes out later is that it's not really just for him to discipline them he enjoys watching young men pleasure themselves and he's basically willing to let them do whatever they want if they'll let him watch. And so this is what Burroughs likes. So whenever it seems like Burroughs is going to sort of dry up with the information he's starting to get a bit nervous about betraying the family boy morgan is an excellent little dr watson he's such a good psychic he knows what he needs to do he's kind of like lounging on the bed in his towel and then maybe his towel falls off and maybe he's he's having a little play and every time it seems like burrows is about to chicken out boy steps up the game a little bit and eventually the way they get the information they need out of burrows is by letting him Watch. watch he watches mitch and morgan and then uh, that's how he ends up spilling the beans so from that they decide to go on their own mission in which morgan goes and interrogates the downstairs staff so mitch instead goes to speak to sir james the patriarch of the family's secretary who is called vince and Vince is like, if you are free for lunch, let's have a chat then. So Mitch is like, that's brilliant. I'm gonna go out in the field and wait for Morgan. And he's daydreaming about all the sex he's had. And then Morgan surprises him. So Morgan's telling about the information he learned from one of the maids called Susie. She's got a great pair of tits. Morgan is truly bisexual. He loves a bit of cock, he loves tits. And as Mitch said, I would never convert him entirely to my way of thinking. I appreciate this LGBT representation on all sides. Well done. He takes more 
Morgan to the sex pool that Uncle Lenny showed him. They notice a horse riding very closely through and they're like, oh my God, we thought this was secluded. Someone's going to find it. They see that on the horse, there is two men riding naked. And so they're like, who are these huns on the horse? It turns out that it's the gardener getting his mid-morning blowjob. They don't know who the other man is at this moment in time, but they know that this man is very hairy. Whilst this is all happening, I should say Morgan is fingering Mitch's bumhole. Yes, so they're hiding and watching. Hidden behind a bush. As much as Mitch is trying to concentrate, he's like, oh yeah, because he's been the top in all of these situations thus far. And clearly Mitch is a switch. He's verse. He'll do whatever is going on. It turns out that this very hairy man gave a blowjob that even Mitch would be proud to administer. He's got the Mitch Mitchell seal of approval for that. And then they gave one of the biggest loads he has ever seen. And this man turns out to be the groom. If you remember from Riders, a groom is a horsey person. What we're saying right now is plot specific. Bear with us. It will become important, I promise. They've gone back inside. And Mitch is going for lunch with Sir James's secretary. So they go to a pub, buys him a sandwich and a beer, which honestly, in lockdown, I was like, get me in a beer garden with a sandwich on. That sounds amazing. So he goes to the pub with Vince and we find out more about Rex, who is the brother. And at this point, as someone who enjoys true crime, I was like, well, it's Rex. It's obviously Rex because he was very suspicious. He ran away to London as soon as this all happened, even though he knew his fiance was on the way. And we find out that it's seems like Rex and Vince have a very Mitch and Morgan relationship when they were at university. They shared rooms and they started running with a rather fast set. And then there's kind of a lot of like, me and Rex were friends. Like you and Morgan are friends. You're good friends. We're very good friends. And then poor Vince. Vince gets kicked out of uni for nothing. And they find out that Rex is a homosexual. They pin it all on Vince. And it's like the least that Rex can do for him is he gets Vince a job with his dad. Mitch is very sad about this. And he was like, crap, I want to get you out of here, out of Drekham, out of England. And Vince responds, to be honest, Mitch, I'd be happy if you'd just get me out of my pants. That's a great line. But we also find out that the reason that it's so imperative that Rex marries Whopper Hunt is that the Eagles are flat broke. and got no dollar. So James made some dodgy deals. There's been some scandal. It's cost him a lot of money. And now they're relying on Rex to marry Whopper, who is a rich heiress, to bring some money back into the family. So they've sort of got all the, inf- not all the information, but things are coming together. And Mitch goes home and has to quote Mitch himself. He goes to ponder this erotic jumble. Erotic jumble is exactly what this is. And Morgan comes up and they're deducing in what is, I would describe a legally blocked fit of intelligence. You had a shower after having a perm? Like, yes, we established that she had a shower after having a perm. You can't shower after having a perm because it'll deactivate the ammonium thyglycolate. Like, that's what we're getting towards. So they realise that Leonard had said he couldn't fuck Mitch earlier on because he'd been bombing the gardener. And then we realised, we saw that the gardener had been bombing the groom. To quote Mitch, and he said, and you saw how much spunk he shot over his face. They said that he looked like he hadn't come in days. So he clearly wasn't with creepy Uncle Lenny. Now was he? And basically everything 
that Lenny is told them is now thrown into contention. Is Lenny lying? Who's lying here? Is the poor butler Burroughs lying? We just don't know. Morgan has been speaking to Susie, the maid down below, who's very buxom and aggy, which I think is me. Basically, as soon as you get a chat in, she's like, this is shit. Everything's shit. Everyone is shit. And so he just kind of let her talk. That night where Reg Woolworth died, she saw Mr. Meeks go up into Leonard's room and she never saw Meeks come out again. She sees the rest of the family all kind of go rushing in. So Sir James and Lady Caroline, which makes Mitch go, right, I can believe that maybe Sir James would go rushing into this sex party, but they wouldn't be having a sex party with Lady Caroline around. That makes everything suspicious. So everything's still up in the air. They're still trying to put things together. But what they do to Juice is that they should go and investigate the carpet. Do you remember we mentioned the carpet that Belinda had witnessed? And they realised that the track marks she'd seen when you mess up the carpet aren't pulling away to go to Sir James's quarters. They're actually being pulled in from Lenny's room. So we've worked out where the murder took place, but we haven't worked out who the key players were. But we know that Leonard is lying. So they're in the midst of pondering this when they hear Mrs. Ramage. She's not come up before, but she's the housekeeper. Having a Barney downstairs. Turns out there's a journalist trying to figure things out. So Mitch is like, well, I'll go and see what this journalist is about. And it turns out this journalist is like, I'll give you a piece of information and then you have to take off a piece of your clothing. And Mitch is like, fine, I'll give you a piece of information if you take off a piece of your clothing. So from this scene, what we deduce is Reg, the guy who's dead, is actually a rent boy who has been blackmailing Sir James. He's a bit of a shady character. He's been doing it to a few kind of upper class, respectable businessmen who come to him for trade. The information that Mitch is trading back is that someone's been taken to the police station. They're trading off information. They're taking their clothes off. It's a sexy time. And then it's the first time we see Mitch being penetrated. They bum on the hood of the Sir car. James's Bentley. The journalist is like, I like seeing a bloke toss himself off whilst I fuck him. Especially a nice, muscular little number like you. Come on, make yourself come. It doesn't take long. He's thrashing around on the hood of the car and he says that he knew exactly how to play me. They have a great time and they've both got some information that they needed. I like, in that position, he emptied his balls into my twitching hole. And that's the end of a chapter. We're like, boom. So we need to know. So he's got more information. He's starting to piece together. As Mitch says, with my balls well drained and my asshole well, well fed, fed. <laughs> I can do anything now. I'm a superhero. And he is ready to solve a crime. He's ready. And he hears some sort of splashing around. Haha. <laughs> and it turns out to be one of the footmen called Hibbert. Hibbert's a bit of a ladies' man. He's the one who's been sleeping with Susie. But it turns out he's also been banging Whopper Hunt. I will admit it took me two reads to get it because he says like, a boy like me can go a long way if he knows how to play the game. And what game is that? Hunt the cunt. I'm sure you're very good at it. And whose cunt have you hunted in Drakham Hall? I told you. 
the kitchen maid. No, Hunt the Cunt. And it took me like three reads to remember that Whopper's surname was Hunt. He's like the only person who Mitch is like, I'm probably not going to turn him. Although he does offer, but he's offering for money. He's trained. He's for pay. But he tells them about the most important breakthrough in this case. The key piece of information that we've all been missing. The reason why several people have been described as possibly being in two places at once without having been seen in the main house in between. Molly, what have we been missing? Ladies and gentlemen, there is a physical, actual back passage. It is not just a sexual innuendo. There is a secret corridor that leads from the servants' quarters into the top governor's gaffs. So that's how everyone's been getting around. They're not faffing around up downstairs. They are literally crawling around this back corridor to bang people. They are sneaking all over the place in the literal back passage. Obviously, we're reading gay erotic fiction. And I was like, the back passage, cool. And then I read this bit and I was like, the back fucking passage. It was in the title. James had us from day one. He knew, he knew what was happening. Oh, it's so good. It It was such a satisfying moment. I actually like, I fucking love a murder mystery. And this is why, because this was brilliant. So they've all been up and down the back passage. That's how people can get quickly from one place to the other. So Morgan comes out and is like, wait, I've got some facts for you. Morgan had spoken to Simon, the deaf, mute, hallway boy. Lenny had said that he'd been tied up to the bed being fucked left, right and centre, but it turns out that it's not the case. It turns out the rope blisters around his hands aren't actually rope blisters. It was the police. They'd handcuffed him. They tried to do their old Norfolk police tactics on him and he hadn't been into it. And so they'd thrashed him soundly and left him handcuffed up in the kitchens while they were elsewhere in the house. It is mentioned at the beginning how quickly the police arrive. It turns out the police were already fucking there. They are in on the game, corrupt, the lot of them. So they're like, okay, we've got this case nearly cracked. We just need to go up to our room and figure out where this back passage is. And then they find Mrs. R. And she's like, well, you don't want to go in your in your room right now. And they're like, mm, we do. And she's like, nah. And they're like, yeah. And they sort of distract her by going like, look over there. And they realise all their shit has been messed up. They realise that someone's come into their room using the back passage, has been going through their shit. And they're like, just give us a hot sec, Mrs. R. You wait here. We're going to go in the room, shut the door and go, right, where's this passage? We getting out of here. And they find it behind like a cupboard or something. And this is when we're getting towards the climax now. Things are starting to gear up because Mrs. R realises that they know about the back passage and this changes everything. So on the way to the back passage, Morgan, despite what seems to be his lack of intelligence, is counting doors. So he's like, this is our room. This door should be this room. This door should be that room. And they get distracted by a doorway, which is actually human height. They're not having to crawl through on their hands and knees to get into it. And they step into it and it turns out to be a dark room. You know, like photography classic. I've got half a GCSE in photography. So I don't know if everyone knows what a dark room is. Morgan manages to escape through a skylight. But Mitch trips on a cylindrical piece of film and then gets caught. So he gets frog marched out by the police sergeant and gets pinned to a chair by Mrs. R and by the police sergeant. And they're like, where is it? And he's like, what? And it turns out the thing they're looking for is actually shoved 
up Mitch's ass. It's a roll of film. And they're like, we know you've got it because it's gone. And he's like, I don't know. And he's like, he's searching my pockets. He's not going to find it there. He said it was awkward and unlubricated, but that's never stopped Mitch before. So he's a fucking trooper. They're starting to interrogate Mitch when they hear a ring come from one of the bedrooms. And Mrs. I was like, fuck them. They know where I am. They can sort themselves. And this ring becomes more aggressive. So Mrs. R goes up and it turns out Burroughs is trying to kill himself. He's trying to hang himself. She's very upset. She goes running off, which leaves Mitch alone with the police officer. The police officer is a lot of an asshole. He's getting off on abusing his power. And the main thing that Mitch is like, I need to keep him away from my ass. That's what I need to do because otherwise he's going to find this film, the jig is up. To quote Mitch, if I could make him come, would he let me go? So the sergeant bends over, separates his cheeks and is like, go on then, if you're so keen, lick it. So Mitch knows he has to lick his way to freedom. And he is a trooper, as we've discussed, and he will do what he needs to do, which involves licking his ass. He's lapping at it like a dog lapping at a bowl of water. And then because he's still tied to the chair, the sergeant has to do most of the work in the sort of fucking. But then this was fucking baller. After the fucking is done, he's obviously he's inside the policeman who's like bent over a dressing table or something. And then <laughs> Mitch fucking smashes himself back into the wall, which breaks the chair so that he's now not tied to a chair he's anymore. free, yeah. And then kicks the policeman who hits his head on the side the dressing table he's out cold covered in his own spunk and Mitch is free to run away and go and save the day I love it he runs down the back passage he finds himself in Leonard's room where Burroughs is dying on the floor Mrs R is hugging him and is sad Lady Caroline standing there so James is there and Whopper Hunt is also there with Leonard classic and they are trying to give Burroughs a sort of injection to end his life because they're like look you wouldn't do this to a dying dog you put them down let's put him down Mrs. R is like no and they're like why not and Mrs. R is like he's my brother which is new information to everybody Mitch has been hiding in the back passage listening to all this happen Morgan creeps up behind him and is like hey hun, I got that police sergeant's gun let's bust this joint open like Morgan is coming through as the sidekick Mitch bursts through the door and he's like everybody I've got a gun we sort of start to get an answer but we don't Burroughs the butler is on the floor dying and his deathbed confession is that not only did he watch the men's doing the things he took photos to sell on to people in London so he had a photo to prove Meek's innocence Meek's innocence relies on who? Dun 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 Rex. That is who Meeks was with when he was supposed to be murdering Reg Walworth. And they're like, we smashed up your dark room. And then Mitch whips it out of his ass. As Mitch says, it was in the best of conditions and I hope to God that my ass juices hadn't damaged the content. This is the key to the whole thing. Mitch saves the day and this is the point at which Rex bursts back into the room. Rex has returned from London and he is here. And then the next chapter is like, just kind of wrapping up. So Rex and Meeks were in love. Like proper, beautiful love. But obviously they needed Rex to marry Whopper. Because of the family fortune. So it turns out that the guy who died was gonna blackmail James, but Lady Caroline, Leonard and the police chief thought it was easier. They were gonna bump off Raj and then pin it on Meeks and that kills two birds with one stone. You get rid of the blackmail and you get rid of 
the gay lover of your son who you need to marry for money. Rex, when he went down to London, he went through all of Reg's shit, worked it all out and came back up to try and save Meeks. And then he got to the police station and wasn't let in until he met PC Bill the anal virgin Shipton. And Bill helped him get into the police station to save Meeks. They like handcuffed one of the police officers and put him in the cell and then rescued Meeks. And then they rocked up back to the house to save the day. And all the bad people have like run away. The mum's gone, the police chief's gone. Whopper, Hunt and her footman boyfriend have fucked off. Sir James, it turns out, was being blackmailed by Reg because he had been foolish enough to believe that him and Reg actually had he something real. He was spending all the family money to keep his, what he thought was his lover, but was just this scummy little man. And ultimately, this was my favourite bit, Sir James and Simon the whore boy found love together. So I know the question you're asking is what happened to Mitch and Morgan because it's a will they, won't they, they did what's going to happen. Morgan is very much like, I love... Belinda. I'm gonna be with Belinda for the rest of my life. I love you in my penis and my bum hole and with my lips, but I don't love you with my heart. And Mitch is very Carrie Bradshaw at this point. So I got to thinking, did I ever really love him or was it just that he was there yeah. and he was my friend? And he concludes he didn't really love Morgan. They're pals and the phrase they use is that Morgan and Belinda, they get married, they're very happy, they have a daughter, they live in London, I see them frequently and Morgan and I remain as close as ever. I'm happy to say that my romantic longings in that direction have changed into a lasting affection, a friendship spiced by occasional athletic bouts of sex. It's brilliant. So that's good. It's lovely. So the sergeant gets hung for murder. Lady Caroline is in a Belgian jail waiting to be extradited to the UK. So James was a recluse for a bit but found love with Simon, as Hannah mentioned. Rex and Meeks get to live happily ever after. Whopper Hunt goes and makes a new life for herself in Paris. PC Shipton now runs the police station everyone is happy and then he goes and me I returned to Cambridge and continued my postgraduate studies Morgan's obviously gone and got married and got a job so he's not at Cambridge anymore but guess who becomes his new roommate Vince the secretary who's allowed to come back to uni and then they move back to America together it's so nice yay (laughs) it's such a happy ending for everybody there are three more books in this series of Mitch this may become a feature of the podcast because I really enjoyed it so Hannah, how wet did you get? Were you like the ocean? How wet did you get? Were you drier than the desert? How wet did you get? Did this book make you come? It's one of the closest I've come because I think, as I say, the key for me is like, even if I couldn't necessarily empathise and see myself with any of those characters in those situations, most of the time they were all just having a fucking wrong time. time. And I like that. I'm going to give it, and it's never been more appropriate to rate a book out of penises. I'm going to give it like a solid seven or eight, like a rock hard eight. I give it an eight and a half. It was just fun it was so fun i feel like he nailed the tone of it it was really tongue-in-cheek Completely. but really funny and i thought the murder mystery plot line was actually really good i thought it was good too so you don't have to take our word for it we have gone and sought out some reviews to see how other people found it 
generally goodreads again had a nice time with it some of the reviews as well were really really detailed i'm not going to go too deep but my favorite one was from a man called nick who said i say three stars my penis says five we will compromise at four and there was a man called martin as well who said that he first tried to read this book in 2017 where he used to take erotic literature very seriously and he didn't really like that this was kind of very unlikely and he wasn't able to suspend his disbelief enough but he came back to it and was like I'm ready to let logic fly out of the window and just enjoy the story. He loved Boy Morgan because he said, what mystery hero doesn't want a sidekick who's constantly fingering you even during the most inappropriate of moments? He loved it. He was like, it was really cheesy. It was really entertaining. The ending was great. And I think that is very much how I feel about it. See, Amazon wasn't as positive. So this guy, and this is quite a long one, so I'm going to try and condense it as much as possible. It said... This was an unusual book, a mixture of male-on-male erotica and an Agatha Christie-style detective mystery. This combination is not, to be perfectly honest, entirely successful. It is original and fun, but the erotica element renders the mystery unbelievable. This is, in fact, my criticism of erotica books in general. They are so sex-obsessed as to render the rest of the story weak. I enjoyed this book. Part of it's course guilty pleasure, that is the allure of erotica genre. Part of it is that James Lear is a genuinely good writer. Lesser writers produce cringeworthy sex scenes. And part of it is that the mystery side was given attention and worked appreciably well, albeit not up to the standards of the masters. Uh, it's a sex book, hun. As much as this is a murder mystery, I feel like it's a sex book first and a murder mystery second. Yeah. Like, I thought the fact that the murder was done so well was really to its credit. He could have skimped on that and I wouldn't have minded. Still an enjoyable book, as I say. If you're a fan of erotica, you'll probably like this book. The protagonist, a young Bostonian man with a flair for soothing, as well as bonking, (laughs) may even appeal to fans of a wider mystery genre. The publisher and writer also deserve credit for bravery. This is not an easy book to write nor publish, and would have certainly been censored in 1925. We ought to reflect on how much things have progressed since then. Hun, this wasn't written in 1925. It's not a historical document, and it's not a piece of classic literature from the 1920s it was published in 2006 it's literally just like a bit of historical fun grow up this guy went far too into the review and i felt like i had to read it out because it was such shenanigans the book doesn't deserve the amazon review it got honestly this and riders have been my two favorites so far I would really, really recommend it. If we can push enough people to be interested in this, maybe they'll do a reprint. That's all we want is a reprint of James Lear and his Mitch Mitchell books. I think we're definitely going to do the next one, aren't we? At some point. Thank you very much for listening. It means a lot to us. Thank you for sending us messages. Please rate, review and subscribe. We are on most of your favourite podcast places. So please let us know that you like us. You can find us at LitGagPod on Twitter, at LiterallyGaggingPod on Instagram, If you search Literally Gagging Podcast on Facebook, we will come up. And our email address is literallygaggingpod at gmail.com. And as always, thank you very much for listening. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much for sharing the love with us. And we hope that we can continue to entertain you in the future. Stay safe, stay alert, wash your hands, and we'll see you next week. Okay, Bye. bye. A big thank you to Bobby Bates for doing all of our artwork and our logo and everything, to Bethany Southworth for our jingle, and the other incidental music is from Kevin McLeod of Incompetech, the king of royalty-free jams and saviour of media studies students the world over.